Another Gospel by A. W. Pink Read by David Knight Before we listen to this message, originally given by A. W. Pink, I just want to take a few moments to frame what you're about to hear. It's mind-blowing that this message is nearly a hundred years old. This was written before the explosion of the prosperity gospel, but was written as if Pink was speaking today in 2020. This message is a great reminder that Satan and false teachers do not present themselves as such, but instead often come as wolves disguised as sheep. They come with just enough truth or Bible quotes taken out of context to make it sound plausible and enough of a distortion to lead the hearer to a completely different gospel and one that does not save. Discernment today is crucial and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement for you to test everything you hear in the word of God. But before we hear the message, let's just remind ourselves of that famous Charles Spurgeon quote. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Let's go now to another gospel by A.W. Pink. Satan is not an initiator, but he's an imitator, a counterfeiter. Christ is the light of the world. So no wonder then that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We shouldn't be surprised that Satan is a false gospel. The devil, even now, is busy at work in the same field in which the Lord sowed the good seed. He is seeking to prevent the growth of the wheat by another plant, the tares, which closely resemble the wheat in appearance. And although it looks like wheat, it's just a weed. By a process of imitation, Satan is aiming to neutralise the work of Christ. Therefore, as Christ has a gospel, Satan has a gospel, a counterfeit gospel that will lead to destruction. And so closely does the gospel of Satan resemble that which it parodies. Multitudes of the unsaved are deceived by it. It's this gospel of Satan that the Apostle Paul refers to when speaking to the Galatians. He writes, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel. This false gospel was being promoted even in the days of the Apostle Paul, and a most awful curse was called down upon those who preached it. And by the help of God, we shall now endeavour to expose this false gospel. The gospel of Satan isn't a system of revolutionary principles, nor is it a program of anarchy. It's a lot more subtle than that. It doesn't promote strife and war, but instead it sneakily aims at peace and unity. It doesn't seek to set mother against daughter or father against son, but instead it fosters the fraternal spirit whereby the human race is regarded as one great brotherhood. Its aim isn't to drag down the natural man, but to improve and uplift him. It cheers on education and cultivation and it appeals to the best that is within us. It aims to make this world such a comfortable and ideal habitat that Christ's absence from it will not be felt and God will not be needed. It endeavours to occupy man so much with this world that he has no time or inclination to think of the world to come. It breeds the principles of self-sacrifice, charity and benevolence and it teaches us to live for the good of others and to be kind to all. 
It appeals strongly to the carnal mind and is popular with the masses because it ignores the solemn facts that by nature man is a fallen creature, alienated from God and dead in our trespasses and sins, and that his only hope lies in being born again. In complete contrast to the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Satan teaches salvation by works. It cheers on justification before God on the grounds of human merits. Be good and do good. But it fails to recognise that in the flesh there dwells no good thing. It announces salvation by character. The pledge card is substituted for Christ. Social purity for individual regeneration. And politics and philosophy for doctrine and godliness. The cultivation of the old man is considered more practical than the creation of a new man born again. Whilst universal peace is looked for apart from the intervention and return of the Prince of Peace. The apostles of Satan aren't drug dealers and brothel owners. But are for the most part false teachers in the appearance of ordained ministers. A fearful number of those that occupy our modern pulpits are no longer engaged in presenting the fundamentals of the Christian faith. But instead, they've turned aside from the truth and have given heed to fables, half-truths and entertainment. Instead of magnifying the enormity of sin and setting forth its eternal consequences, they minimise it by declaring that sin is merely ignorance or the absence of good. Instead of warning their hearers to flee from the wrath to come, they make God a liar by declaring that he is too loving and merciful to send any of his own creatures to eternal torment. Instead of teaching that without the shedding of blood there is no salvation, they merely hold up Christ as the great example as to how to live and exalt their hearers to follow in his footsteps. Their message may sound very plausible and their aim might appear very praiseworthy, yet we read of them in the scriptures, for such are false apostles. They are deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And should we be surprised? For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. In addition to the fact that today, hundreds of churches are without a leader who faithfully declares the whole counsel of God and presents his way of salvation. We also have to face the additional fact that the majority of people in these churches are very unlikely to learn the truth themselves. The Bible is not taught in the pulpit and it isn't read in the pew. The demands of this rushing age are so numerous that multitudes have little time and even less motivation to make preparation for the meeting with God. Hence, the majority who are too focused on the wrong things to search for themselves are left at the mercy of those who they pay to search for them and many of whom betray their trust by studying and expounding economic and social problems rather than the oracles of God. In Proverbs 14 we read, There is a way which seems right, but its end is the way of death. This way which ends in death is the devil's delusion, the gospel of Satan, the way of salvation by human attainment. It is a way which seems right, that is to say, it's presented in such a plausible way that it appeals to the natural man. It is set forth in such a subtle and attractive manner that it commends itself to the intelligence of its hearers. And of course, it's delivered with just enough religious terminology and sometimes appeals to the Bible for its support. And because it's proclaimed by those who have graduated from our theological institutions, countless multitudes are deceived by it. The success of an 
illegitimate coiner depends largely upon how closely the counterfeit resembles the genuine article. Heresy is not so much the total denial of the truth as a perversion of it. That is why a half-truth is always more dangerous than a complete, outright lie. That's why when the false teacher enters the pulpit, it's not his custom to flatly deny the fundamental truths of Christianity. Rather, he tactically acknowledges them and then proceeds to give an erroneous interpretation and a false application. For example, he would not be so foolish as to boldly announce his disbelief in a personal God. He takes his existence for granted and then gives a false description of his character. He announces that God is the spiritual father of all men, when the scriptures plainly tell us that we are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Further, he declares that God is far too merciful to ever send any member of the human race to hell when God himself has said whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Again, Satan would not be so foolish as to ignore the central figure of the Christian faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. On the contrary, Satan's gospel acknowledges him to be the best man that ever lived. Attention is drawn to his deeds of compassion and works of mercy, the beauty of his character and the excellence of his teaching. His life is eulogised, but his substitutionary death is ignored. The all-important atoning work of the cross is never mentioned, whilst his triumphant and bodily resurrection from the grave is regarded as one of the myths of a superstitious age. It is a bloodless gospel, and it presents a crossless Christ, who is received not as God manifest in the flesh, but merely as an ideal man. Satan who deceives is merely appealing to the best that is within man, and in simply exhorting him to lead a nobler life, encouraging him the belief, well, I'm a good person, I'm not that bad. Again, we think of Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It's been said with considerable truth that the way to hell is paved with good intentions. There will be many in the lake of fire who try to live life with good intentions, honest resolutions, exalted ideals, those who are just in their dealings, fair in their transactions and charitable in all of their ways, men who prided themselves in their integrity but who sought to justify themselves before God by their own righteousness. Men who were moral and merciful, but who never saw themselves as guilty. Lost, hell-deserving sinners needing a saviour. The devil's delusion is that we can be saved by our own works, justified by our own deeds, whereas God tells us in his word, by grace we are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. A few years ago, A.W. Pink became acquainted with an enthusiastic lay preacher. For over seven years, this friend had been engaged in public preaching and religious activities. But from certain expressions and phrases he used, Pink doubted whether his friend was a born-again man. When they began to speak, it was found that he was very imperfectly acquainted with the scriptures and had only the vaguest conception of Christ's work for sinners. For a time, we sought to present the way of salvation in a simple and impersonal manner and to encourage our friend to study the word for himself. We did this in the hope that if he were still unsaved, God would be pleased to reveal the saviour he needed. And one night, to their joy, the one who had been preaching another gospel for several years confessed that he had found Christ 
only the previous night. He acknowledged that he had been presenting the Christ ideal, but not the Christ of the cross. And A.W. Pink believes that there are thousands like this preacher who perhaps have been brought up in Sunday school, taught about the birth, who believe in the historical Jesus and think that it is all necessary for their salvation. Frequently, when they reach adulthood and go out into the world and encounter the attacks of atheists, they are told that such a person as Jesus of Nazareth never lived. But those impressions of the early days cannot be easily erased, and they remain steadfast in their declaration that they believe in Jesus Christ. Yet when their faith is examined, only too often it is found that though they believe many things about Jesus Christ, they do not really believe in him. They believe with the head that such a person lived and because they believe this they imagine that therefore they are saved. But they have never thrown down the weapons of their warfare against him. They have never yielded themselves to him nor truly believed with their heart in him. The bare acceptance of an orthodox doctrine about the person of Christ without the heart being won by him and the life devoted to him is another phase of the way which seemeth right unto man. But the end thereof leads to death. Intellectually, Believing that Jesus Christ was a person in history is not the same as being born again. A mere intellectual sense of the reality of Christ as a person which goes no further is another phase of the way which seems right to a man but of which the end of the ways of death or in other words is another aspect of the gospel of Satan. And we should ask where do you stand? Are you in the way which seems right but which ends in death? Or are you in the narrow way which leads unto life? Have you truly forsaken that broad road which leads to death? Has the love of Christ created in you a, a heart, a hatred and a horror of all that is displeasing to him? Are you relying wholly on his righteousness and blood for your acceptance with God? Those who are trusting in an outward form of godliness such as baptism or confirmation. Those who are religious because it is considered a mark of respectability. Those who attend some church or chapel because it's the fashion to do so. And those who unite with a denomination because they suppose that such a step would enable them to become Christians are in the way which ends in death. Death, spiritual and eternal. However pure our motives, however noble our intentions, however well-meaning our purposes, however sincere our endeavours, God will not acknowledge us as his sons until we accept his son. Another misleading form of Satan's gospel is to move preachers to present the atoning sacrifice of Christ and then tell his hearers that all God requires them to do is believe in his son. Thereby thousands of souls are deluded into thinking that they have been saved. But Christ said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And to repent is to turn to Christ and in doing so, turn away from sin. Again, thousands are deceived into supposing that they have accepted Christ as their personal saviour who have not first received him as their Lord. The Son of God did not come here to save his people in their sin, but he will save his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 To be saved from sins is to be saved from ignoring and despising the authority of God. It's to abandon the course of self-will and self-pleasing. It is to forsake our way. It is to surrender to God's authority, to yield to his dominion, to give ourselves over to be ruled by him. For one who has never taken Christ's yoke upon him, who is not truly and diligently seeking to please him in all the details of life, and yet supposes that he is resting on the finished work of Christ, is deluded by the devil. In the seventh chapter of Matthew, 
there are two scriptures which give us accurate results of Christ's gospel and Satan's counterfeit. First, in verses 13 and 14, we read, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And second, in verses 22 and 23, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Yes, listen, it is possible to work in the name of Christ, and even to preach in his name, and though the world knows us, and the church knows us, yet be unknown to the Lord. How necessary is it then to find out where we really are, to examine ourselves and see whether we are actually in the faith, to measure ourselves by the word of God and see if we are being deceived by our subtle enemy, to find out whether we are building our house upon the sand or whether it is erected on the rock which is Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit search our hearts, break our wills, slay our battle against God, work in us a deep and true repentance and direct our gaze to the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world.